Welcome in to the Fantasy Footballers DFS podcast to break down the week 17 main slate. And if you're with us all season long, you might be a little confused. Um, where the heck is Kyle? He is not with us today. He is currently in the midst of a life-changing move across the country, moving from Georgia all the way out to live in Arizona to work in the studio with the guy. So he is moving across the country so I'm at the control of the show, and there's really no way this doesn't get messed up because listeners may not know this, but I'm a technology idiot. So there's a good chance I hit the wrong drop at some point today, maybe forget a drop. Who knows? It could get off the rails. But to break down the Week 17 slate with me today, I brought on John Daigle of NBC Sports Edge, and I'm super excited. Daigle is super smart. He knows this stuff. He told me before the show, you know, listeners, you're guaranteed to win the Millie Maker listening today. And if you don't, you can just, you know, let Daigle know about it. But Daigle, how you doing, man? Thanks for joining me on the show today. As someone who doesn't play the Millie Maker himself, I can't exactly guarantee that. Also good for Kyle, by the way. I don't know his hobbies, what he tends to do when he's not working, but Arizona is a terrific place to be. Lots of golf, lots of hiking. So uh, the cost of living also fairly, fairly good. So yeah, good spot to be. Yeah, I'm excited for him, man. He's uh, he's making the move. He and his family are going to be out there today on Thursday when we're recording this. He's in the middle of actually moving into his house and getting that all set up. So I'm sure he is super busy. Um, he'll probably be listening. So, so Kyle, what's up, man? Uh, but yes, we have a, a lot to talk about. Daigle, this slate is a beast. 14 games on the main slate. And honestly, it's a little overwhelming. We have a ton to talk about. And just with this season, you know, like Thursday at two o'clock on the East Coast is when this is going down. It'll come out on Friday, of course. But man, there's a good chance like some of the stuff we talk about may not matter with the COVID news and injury updates. But we're going to try to do our best to break it down. I have Twitter open. I am ready for any breaking news that comes on the show, which seems like it's it's guaranteed to happen. But I'm excited to talk about the main slate. But before we do that, Daigle, just let the people know like a little bit about yourself, You know where your work can be found, what you're working on, all that sort of stuff. The floor is yours. NBCSportsEdge.com. I have been in charge of the weekly waiver column now for the last three years may not be of importance at this time, since it'll be week 17 by the time you're reading this. Uh, there will be a week 18 column, though. And at the beginning for the lead, I usually give out the top 10 free agency awards waiver pickups of the year. So you can tune into that next week if you happen to be playing like a sicko into week 18 waivers. Nonetheless, also at not Jay Daigle on Twitter. And yeah, I've been humming around there for five years now, four full time. Everything's going well. Expansion on video has happened. So overall, yeah, everything's going good. You know, we're just trying to make it through the season that it seems like it even feels like this should be the last week. But somehow, some way, we have two more weeks left of football. Yes. And if you're following Daigle on Twitter, you know that this man loves the hashtag longest season ever. Um, <laughs> and it just it feels it, like that. It really too. does. And the best part about, you know, the DFS season, of course, is that we don't stop in week 17 or 18. You know, we're going through the playoffs with those smaller slates, which are super fun. And if listeners, you want to be a part of that with us in the DFS pass, get up in there, dfspass.com. I always give the guys a hard time. It's just too cheap for what it offers. Uh, and if you want to save a little bit of extra cash this time of year, you can use the code DFSPOD. Save some money on that today. Again, we're going through the Super Bowl, all the con content you know and love through January. All right, Dougal, let's get into these cash picks. Straight cash, homie. 
All right. We are talking cash game picks on the show today for week 17. These are the best plays, so to speak, on the slate. Let's start a quarterback this week. Daigle, where are you looking if you're playing in a cash game? I think it's very simple that we start with Trey Lance here. Just remember that in his lone start for Jimmy Garoppolo this year, 15 fantasy points, the QB 16 on the week, and that happened without throwing a passing touchdown, without running for a rushing touchdown, and without George Kittle in that game. Literally got stuffed on fourth and goal for a quarterback sneak touchdown, and had he scored that, even with a bad performance, 190 yards, one pick, as we talked about, no touchdowns, still could have finished as a low-end QB1, so just imagine. Now imagine at full strength this entire offense, if he throws one, let alone two passing touchdowns. He genuinely has QB1 overall upside, and he's mispriced since the Jimmy Garoppolo news didn't come out till Tuesday. So overall, I think it's fairly simple that you don't get cute in cash games and just lock up Trey Lance. I'm with you, man. I think that's the way to do it. And especially when you look on this slate, you know, it's tough. Like you got to save salary somewhere. And normally I don't like going down at quarterback when we have a full slate like this because of the fact that it's so scary where these other guys can really break the slate and separate from you. But at the price point, 4.8K on DraftKings, to me, he's locked in. If you want to play Jonathan Taylor, if you want to play Cooper Cup, you have to have Trey Lance almost guaranteed on this slate for a cash game build. So I'm with you on that aspect. If you're not into Trey Lance listeners, you did want to spend up. I'll just point out, I mean, Josh Allen, if you have the salary to get up there, looks like an awesome play. Obviously, a huge implied team total taking on the Falcons. They can't rush the passer. Um, bottom two in sack rate and pressure rate. And of course, Josh Allen, we know, has that 30 plus point DK ceiling every single week. So if you have the salary to get up there, he's certainly a play for me this week. And one other name I'll throw out, um, it actually doesn't look like he's going to get rostered too heavily early in the week in terms of the roster percentage report is Jalen Hurts. Uh, we just know that like <laughs> it seems like he's locked in for 20 DK points every week. And he's always a threat to find the end zone with his legs. We just saw the football team and the Eagles play two weeks ago on that random Tuesday night game, which uh, really brought back 2020 vibes <laughs> for sure um, and had his best game as a pro in that spot. So any thoughts on on those two guys, Daigle with Allen and Jalen Hurts? Allen, more so for me on FanDuel. I'm not sure which one I'm leaning just yet in cash. You mentioned the DraftKings price is why we like Lance. On FanDuel, we still have to have those touchdowns. That's what separates, and that's how we can get lucky and backdoor points there. So nothing against going for Allen. Uh, when we get the running backs, you'll hear why I'm sort of off Allen, though, and would rather just play Devin Singletary instead. But overall, Jalen Hurts also. I know some people are worried about the matchup. You know, Washington, even in being just absolutely devoured with injuries right now. Uh, the Eagles have played tough matchups, and Washington is a tough matchup on the ground, but the Eagles, because they are the superior line when you get into the trenches, have moved the Saints, have moved the Bucks. Uh, there genuinely is no matchup the Eagles can't have success against. So I'm actually not worried about the matchup whatsoever for Jalen Hurts, and more importantly, one of the Eagles running backs, if we get a definitive one, I still think they're going to have tremendous success on the ground. Yep, for sure. I'm with you in that, especially in this game, you know, thinking about like motivation in week 17, Eagles can lock up a playoff spot with a win here against Washington. So I'm with you in that front. I think the answer, though, for real, you know, for me, especially in cash on DraftKings is Trey Lance. And, you know, this is the week. Tegel, I'm not sure what your uh, best ball exposure was, but uh, this is the week to get even <laughs> on Trey Lance exposure, man. I just took took so much of him an underdog in best ball mania. And, you know, I thought that was the key and, and it got out of hand and, and clearly didn't work out. But this is the week we're playing Trey Lance. <laughs> I admittedly 
I admittedly have no more Best Ball Mania bullets left, but uh, I'm doing very well in some six-mans and three-mans. I was originally just on three-mans. I like playing those. And then Rich Rebar like made me expand a six-man and said, actually, like it's less volatile if you play those because some fluke can still happen in three-mans. So I said, okay, uh, I'll jump over to three-mans because I just liked drafting uh, Darren Waller and Travis Kelsey at the one-two turn this past offseason to lock up tight end. Now, Mark Andrews is going to finish as the tight end one, most likely, so didn't really win that one, but I like to play in three bands and uh, having a lot of success in six man. so I'll go back to that this offseason, and I do know I have a ton of Trey Lance in those teams that survive in six mans and 12 mans. There you go, man. This is the week. Yeah, those are fun. Underdog it was an awesome platform this year, and they've grown a ton. But yeah, those three and six mans are a lot of fun. And listeners, you know, next year in the summer, that's all Kyle and I talk about pretty much is best ball on the show. So if you're interested in that, make sure you're locked in in the offseason. But let's move on to running back. And it feels like you can't really start the conversation any week without starting with Jonathan Taylor at running back. Let's just talk about his pricing point. 9K on DraftKings, 10K on FanDuel. Diggle, how are you handling Jonathan Taylor in cash games this week? I'll be playing him. It's pretty much that simple. Uh, We talk about all the time as Jonathan Taylor and Cooper Cup as the players you can't get away from on any slate. They're basically the most consistent, not basically, they are the most consistent fantasy players this year. The lone players that not only are here week in and week out, but also have a floor and ceiling week in and week out. The only issue is, you know, Taylor probably would have got there anyhow, but since week six, his success has directly coincided with Quentin Nelson's health. And so that's why, you know, I play in DFS a lot of mid and high stakes single entries, and it's just basically game theory with life. Like a lot of people in life are very bad at making decisions. Uh, They'd rather have someone make the decision for them. And thus I play single entries to take advantage of that because I feel like I can cut down my pool of players and say, I don't mind missing out on this because I think this game script is bad, whereas everyone else likes it. And so I love single entries. Uh, And Jonathan Taylor was actually not in the winning lineups in mid and high stakes on Christmas. And I genuinely think it was because it overlapped with Quentin Nelson. So when he got put on the COVID list, there genuinely was a reason to fade Jonathan Taylor and go with someone like Chase Edmonds as we waited for the James Conner news and Nick Chubb, for instance, in a, in a terrific spot. Also, if you wanted to try and get A.G. Dillon's touchdown. But in this game, we get Quentin Nelson back. We get, I believe, two of their other starting offensive linemen back. So over the last three weeks, since other running backs behind Taylor have only totaled nine touches in that span, whereas every other touch has gone to Taylor, we've seen him reach his career high and snap rate three different times in that span. Uh, I'm just going right back to Jonathan Taylor and not overthinking it in cash games. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing really negative to say about it, no doubt. The only thing that I was talking about a little bit on our Tuesday show, this is before the COVID change as far as the protocols for the NFL was, you know, if there's no um, Carson Wentz, it just adds maybe a little bit more systemic risk to the Colts offense. It looks like, based off my understanding, is these guys don't even have to test negative anymore. Like, just as long as there's five days and they're not symptomatic any longer, my understanding is they're off the COVID list. And I think that means without any you know change that's not foreseen Carson Wentz should be back under center so I think it's business as usual Jonathan Taylor is going to touch the ball 25 ish times and this Raiders defense you can certainly run on so no doubt about it it's an awesome spot I think my lean right now is on FanDuel and maybe we just have the conversation here is like where do you lean because if you can only fit one of the two are you playing cup or are you playing Taylor for me on FanDuel I think it's Taylor just given I mean I don't think I've ever seen a wide receiver this expensive on FanDuel with Cooper Cup being 10.2K. I'm not saying that Cup can't get there and usurp Jonathan Taylor's overall production and fantasy points in this game, but one, 10-2, as you mentioned, even for Cooper Cup is 
not egregious, but tough to get in. Also, like, you can easily poke holes in Cooper Cup this week. Like, not only do we have essentially every option at the top tier of receiver, running back, quarterback available, which is why it's also hard to get cute and pay beyond Trey Lance in this slate because all the big dogs are back. Like, they did us a favor in putting Steelers-Browns on Monday night because we weren't going to play anyone from that game anyway, so it's great. Uh, But for me, Cooper Cup, just in being involved against a Ravens defense that despite being easily attacked over the top, and this goes all the way back to like week 10. This is not just the last two weeks with Joe Burrow and Aaron Rodgers. You think back in... Tua and Jacoby Brissett had over 300 yards combined. Baker Mayfield had 240 and a touchdown, which is great for Baker Mayfield. Roethlisberger had 230 and two touchdowns, which is great for Ben Roethlisberger, like a Hall of Fame game in his 2021 season. And so even then, the Ravens have allowed the fourth fewest catches to opposing slot receivers. So basically for 10-2 at that price, you have to have the Cooper Cup touchdown. And I'm not saying Cooper Cup can't score a touchdown. I'm just letting you know you have to have it. And you can't be upset with like an Antonio Brown game 10 for 107 last week when that doesn't get it done at at 10-2. That's literally not worth it. You have to get the 10-107 and touchdown. And so I, I think there is a really good reason, famous last words, to fade Cooper Cup this week. Interesting. Yeah, we're going to talk about that game from a game stacking standpoint, especially in GPP. So we'll talk about how to handle Cup in that scenario. It's an awesome point. I think my lean right now is I'm probably not going to play him on FanDuel. I probably will try to figure out how to play him in cash on DraftKings where you don't need the touchdown. You know, he can get there. It feels like 107 yards for him is like a bad game at this point. I mean, that's how good he's been, obviously. So um, yeah, for sure. That's it's something to consider in the tournament setting in cash games. He's going to project extremely well, obviously. For the running back situation, let's keep going down in the pricing here. I have David Montgomery on my list here. I mean, I was kind of shocked, and maybe it's just because it's the Bears, but logging in to see them actually as a Vegas favorite this week. Last time I looked, it was like six and a half points. I mean, the Bears just don't lay points against anyone, but we're going to see likely a positive game script here with the Bears against the combination of you know Jake Fromm and Mike Glennon. So are you interested in David Montgomery? The workload's been there. Obviously, the matchup is solid. Interested in Mont- Montgomery this week in cash games. Of course, and it's not even the carries while we're going after him. He has 31 targets in his last four games. Everyone's always trying to like pay down a defense, which you essentially can't do in 2021 DFS because there are so many bad quarterbacks out there and you have to pay up at defense. Uh, the one skeleton key, oddly enough, has actually been just playing defenses against the Giants over the last month. Like Since Mike Glennon has been starting, the opposing defense against the Giants has averaged more points than the Cowboys defense in that span. And the Cowboys defense is the number one overall defense. So like the skeleton key is playing whichever defense opposes both Mike Glennon and Jake Fromm. Makes it really easy for us. And that game script, of course, correlates with David Montgomery. So I wonder how popular it will get. I think it will get fairly popular. Uh, And that'll kind of make my decision if I need to play him in tournaments or pivot off of him. But if someone wants to go Montgomery and cash, no no issues with it. I think it's a pretty strong play. Yeah, I was looking at some lineups earlier today, and it kind of seems silly to even talk about like building a lineup before Sunday morning at this point. But I was yeah. looking, and it's like, how do you get away from him, Cash? He's just so solid. So yeah, I'm with you. He looks awesome. We can quickly touch on Ronald Jones. I don't think anyone's going to be shocked to talk about, oh, it's the Jets. You play your running backs against the Jets. We know the matchups there. We know the team totals there. The concerns were a little bit real. Last week, we kind of talked about in tournaments like... You know, we've seen it before where it's like if he doesn't get the pass down work, he has failed in spots, but he's going to get 20 carries because his competition for touches is Keyshawn Vaughn and Le'Veon Bell. I mean, it's going to happen. So I think on FanDuel, he projects a little bit better at 7K where touchdowns matter a lot. Are you still comfortable with him as a cash game option on DraftKings? His price came up. He was basically free last week. So it was a no brainer this week up at 6.3 on DK. 
It's still the Jets, so of course. Uh, and I talked about this on a few shows, a good football show on iTunes, Spotify, shameless plug for those listening, that without Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, maybe the Bucks just change their offensive approach. Like, they can do whatever they want, but without those two guys, maybe they do scale it back a little bit. And Tampa Bay only ended up running 28 plays within one score of the Panthers, but did finish with their lowest run play rate from neutral situation in any game this year last week. And so it could be another situation like that. Um, you know, the fact that he does not have the pass catching role, even in a terrific spot against the Jets defense, allowing the most fantasy points to opposing backfields and the most touches to opposing running backs, he could still probably get there. But in tournaments, you know, there are reasons to pivot off of him and instead go a sneaky double stack with Brady, uh, Antonio Brown three square. We'll talk about that in a second on DraftKings since they just did an egregious job pricing him yet again. Uh, and then Gronk, who, you know, I think is going to sneak in as one of the better plays as a superior pay up tight end. And so overall, there are reasons to get off him at tournaments. But in cash games, yeah, I, I don't have an issue with it because it's just another great spot against the Jets. Yeah, no doubt about it. He looks awesome. So yeah, those are kind of our, our top ones there. And we'll just kind of bring up real quick, like there is some uncertainty this week as of right now. We're not sure what's going on uh, with Elijah Mitchell coming back off the knee injury, taking on Houston. If Jeff Wilson is the guy there, any interest in him on DK is 5.6. Yes, even though Trey Lance will take away or has the potential to take away from touchdown equity inside the five. And we know that's how you're getting there with Jeff Wilson. He happened to get yep. three targets in his last start without Elijah Mitchell, but we can't expect those targets weekly, especially with Jermichael Hasty still playing the third down back. So we'll keep an eye on that. Um, also, I love Devin Singletary so much so that I think Devin Singletary is absolutely a cash game play. Uh, 50 of 58 backfield touches the last three games for the Bills. They clearly have a favorite running back now. And given their 29.5 point team total, you know, even on a big jam slate where all the big dogs are out to play, uh, like there are four teams with 28 point total. So like we're still kind of focused, honestly, only around four offenses, not even so much four games, just four offenses. And so, you know, getting too cute with the Bills could be dangerous. I, I think just like we saw against the Panthers, it could be a game where the Bills coast and just ride Devin Singletary and uh, relieve Josh Allen for a little bit. Maybe some touchdown equity there, but Devin Singletary is still just an awesome play. And then if we get relief or if we get news on one of the Eagles running backs, don't want to play them if they're together. But if Jordan Howard's out of the way and we just get Boston Scott, remember Kenneth Gainwell was active in that game last week and Gainwell only played two snaps despite the fact both Jordan Howard and Miles Sanders left early. Like it's very clearly just going to be Boston Scott's backfield if Howard's not able to play. And so we'll keep an eye on that situation as well. Yeah, absolutely. He did return today on Thursday. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if it was limited or full, but yeah, of course the Friday show um, as far as the injury blitz podcast, which I do will be huge in terms of that. If again, I'm with you. If Boston Scott's the dude certainly looks like an awesome play here against the football team. His price is too cheap. If he had the role at wide receiver, we already talked about Cooper cup and we'll talk about him again in more detail in the stacking section. So we'll kind of skip him for now. There's not much to say. I mean, he's an awesome play every single week. You brought up the free square. I just want to hit on this. I'm not building a cash lineup this week without Antonio Brown. You talked about the mistake DraftKings made wide receiver 18 in pricing on FanDuel. He's wide receiver three. So they were like, oh crap, we have to adjust or everyone's going to play him again. DraftKings just made the huge mistake. He's popping as a massive value. The dude doesn't play since week six. Okay, week six. All of a sudden, Tom Brady's peppering with a 50, yes, 5-0% target share in that game back and now taking on the Jets with a huge implied total. I don't think you overthink it. I think you just play Antonio Brown, especially in cash on DraftKings. We'll talk about maybe for a sec, what do you do with him on FanDuel? Like, it's just so expensive for a guy that 
you have to see regression coming at some point, right? Like he can't see 50% targets again this week, Kenny. I mean, that's crazy. It's a double-edged sword. Uh, to your point, yes, regression is likely to happen. That's why Gronk is such an awesome play around Antonio yes. Brown, because we do not expect him to accrue 50% of the targets yet again. Having said that, like Brown has been a wide receiver one in four of six games played with the Bucs this year. And those first five games were with Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. So there's no reason to think like 8,700 is actually too cheap. Uh, like last week when he was 7K and Ronald Jones was 5,400 on FanDuel, I think there's some game theory here to where no one's going to pay up for him, but maybe you pay up for him anyways, just because because you know he can easily exceed that point per dollar mark and still be a tremendous tournament play, especially if you're playing Gronk with him in double stacks or honestly just offensive double stacks, like without Brady, just playing two of their players, hoping for all the touchdown equity for a 29-point team total. So there is some game theory involved with Antonio Brown. I don't think he's a bad play either way, but in tournaments, 6,100, uh, at least we can discuss pivots around him. But like we talked about, they just messed it up. They just missed the boat, yeah. man. They did. And Antonio Brown has some incentives in his contract to get an extra cool $1 million this year. He's basically just off the pace to get there. There's 0% chance Tom Brady doesn't help him do that. I mean, these guys were living together, right? Like last we, year. So we, we saw this happen. already last year as well. Uh, at the end of the year, he had some incentives and Brady fed him as well. Um, they, they are very well aware of these incentives. So yes, I expect him to get fed in this game. Yeah, play him in cash, especially on DraftKings. Um, let's also talk about a couple of names I have on the list here, like in the mid-range Jalen Waddle just feels insanely safe. Uh, you know what you're going to get. He fits DraftKings full PPR scoring extremely well. The offense runs through him, you know, not having the longest like ADOT as far as where he's seeing his targets, but he's seeing a ton of targets and needs just six receptions to pass Anquan Bolden for the rookie record as far as receptions go. So he looks solid in the mid range. Where else are you looking Daigle this week at, at wide receiver for cash games? I think Jalen Waddle also is fine for tournaments just with, you know, at least nine targets in six of his last seven games. I am curious to see what happens for the Lions around Amon Ross St. Brown because sneakily right now, and it's it's such an advantage to be paying attention not only to the COVID list, or not only the injury report around this time, but the COVID list especially, even though it's, I guess, somewhat disappeared from its usefulness the past 48 hours, but like... Josh Reynolds and Brock Wright, the starting receiver and starting tight end for the Lions, are still on the COVID list. We don't know if they're going to get cleared in time since we're now only 72 hours away from kickoff. And if that's the case, like we can just go right back to Monroe St. Brown's 33% target share over the last month. And so I'm looking for that. And then I wonder, I'm curious where A.J. Brown's going to come in. 32% target share in eight full games this year, including last week's 55% target share in a game Julio Jones was at least present and spirit for uh, Julio Jones and Nick Westbrook-Akeen also on the COVID list as well. So just more targets to get funneled towards wide receivers, in particular, A.J. Brown. So I'm kind of looking in those directions right now, along with Cooper Cup on DraftKings. Yeah, I think A.J. Brown's really interesting in tournaments. I mean, looks like right now I'm seeing some stuff coming in around like 9 to 12 percent as far as his roster percentage. If that holds, yes, I'll take a shot on him. Absolutely where he can dominate the target share, like you said. It's going to depend how far people take this Dolphins defense narrative. And there's a lot of reasons why they are on a seven-game winning streak. Uh, yes, they have gotten healthy, whereas in that losing streak, they were not healthy. So it makes a lot of sense. Also, though, you know, since our jobs are to provide context, you can step back and say, well, in this seven-game winning streak, they've also played Tyrod Taylor, Lamar Jackson. And remember, Lamar Jackson all year long has been awful against the Blitz, and the Dolphins do that at a top-two rate in the league. Uh, also, that was a short turnaround on Thursday night, and the Ravens ran 98 plays just four days prior. So lots of reason why Lamar Jackson failed. Joe Flacco, the combination of Cam Newton, P.J. Walker, Mike Glennon, Zach Wilson, Ian Book. So, yes, they got healthy. 
Yes, they may be a very good defense when healthy since they blitz and paid big contracts to quarterbacks in order to blitz and play man coverage. They have a good scheme, but also when you play those quarterbacks, you kind of know why you're skimming by on a winning streak. So very skeptical. And perhaps AJ Brown is the medicine here to bunk this trend. <laughs> Man, you're telling me that, uh, the Ian book isn't head of the hall of fame. I, my favorite, <laughs> genuinely, my favorite thing is that, uh, the NFL saw Ian and book play football and they're like, okay, this is where we draw the line. Get everyone back in the NFL right now. I don't care what you have to do. We can't allow this to happen again. Dude, that game on Monday night, I I'm, I usually don't turn the game off, even if it's a blowout. I mean, I almost couldn't watch it. It was so bad. But, uh, but you know, pro- Ian Book. props to Ian Book, though, because like now everyone thinks it's the offensive line's fault. So he'll get under start. But uh, oh. as someone oh, yeah. who as someone who wrote like <laughs> the blurbs at NBC Sports Edge for draft players the last three years and like scouts every single fantasy player coming in, I can assure you uh, that's what Ian Book looked like at Notre Dame as well. <laughs> oh boy yeah it was rough <laughs> let's move on here at the end of the wide receiver pricing i wrote down josh palmer on the list here he's, he's 3.6k taking on denver i mean nothing really stands out as far as it being just an awesome spot with the the broncos defense it's just we don't know where things are at with mike williams i think jalen guyton is back off the covid list but we saw this guy play 97 percent of the snaps last week saw six targets and anytime you're attached to justin herbert you gotta like that and if you need to save salary again on the slate we want to play these studs, you know, Jonathan Taylor, Cooper Cup, those types of guys. You have to save salary somewhere. So he's in my cash game pool, at least uh, as of a Thursday or, or Friday. We'll see what happens with the Chargers. Monitor that for the COVID list. Let's move on to tight end. Oh, go ahead. Do you have something else you want to say? Maybe around that range if Mike Williams comes back and we can't ultimately play Josh Palmer, that we also get uh, Braxton Berrios if, Zach, if Jameson Crowder and... Elijah Moore can't go. But yeah, it's very thin right now, below 4K on DraftKings. I know that's kind of how we jam in the plays we want. So just something to keep an eye on. Yeah, good point there for sure. At tight end this week, I mean, it's it's tough on a slate, especially for tournaments. It's going to be tough to pay down. I mean, there's so many studs, you know, Kelsey, um, Kittle, obviously, and then, you know, the tight end one, Mark Andrews to be able to separate at the position. So I think we're going to have that conversation as far as how you play those guys here in a second. Uh, in cash games, I was kind of looking at Foster Moreau this week, and it's hard to say that with a lot of confidence, but this guy is playing basically every snap, running a ton of routes, and seeing somewhere in the range of like six to eight targets. And the matchup is awesome on paper as far as how it looks looks with Indy's defense. You know, they're giving up uh, the third most fantasy points to tight ends. And again, when you have to save salary, you have to do it somewhere in your lineup. And with just tight ends, like the pricing is so bad when you look at like, the high threes, the mid fours, there's just no ceiling associated with it. So you might as well go down. And I'm looking at Foster Moreau this week if you want to save some cash. 3.8K on DraftKings. Diggle, what are your thoughts there? Totally fair. Uh, we've seen a usage change for Foster Moreau the last three games as well. At first, you know, we the prince that was promised stepped in for Darren Waller. And unlike his first start for Darren Waller, did not play every single snap in his first two games that Waller's been dealing with this rib injury now on the COVID list. But the last three games... Uh, Foster Moreau has been used as an every down player, 97% of the snaps in those three games, also six and a half targets per game. So at 3,800, that's pretty awesome, honestly, for a, a tight end to slip through the cracks like that at DraftKings. So don't mind getting there, but also like if you want to pay up, if you find out you have enough salary, I do think Gronk is literally a good enough play where you can also run him out in cash games. We've seen Mark Andrews with Tyler Huntley, assuming we get Tyler Huntley this week, 27 of 32 targets caught his way. Um, as Rich Rebar also pointed out on Twitter, all of Andrew's targets from Tyler Huntley and Josh Johnson 
that have gone for 10 plus air yards have been 90% catchable. Like they've just been on target, which makes them also like a high floor eruption ceiling option too. As long as it's not Lamar Jackson, who's been somewhat inaccurate, uh, also played bad football in those that last month before he got slapped with the ankle injury. So overall, yeah, if you want to pay up, like you can, but Foster Moreau is pretty much right now the only player I would pay down. And that's even knowing that the Jaguars only have one tight end. Four guys are on the COVID list. The one remaining, Roach, is James O'Shaughnessy. What a guy. <laughs> he survives every times week. And it's just like, you know, like, it's fine. <laughs> he's, he's just fine. But yeah, I'm with you. For me, it's Moreau or you pay up if you have the salary. And real quick on Mark Andrews, it does look like it's going to be Tyler Huntley. Lamar Jackson was downgraded today on Thursday, did not practice. Clearly affected with the bone bruise in his ankle on Wednesday. If you saw the video, not looking good for Lamar. I think it will be Tyler Huntley this week, which means good news for Mark Andrews. At defense, you just talked about it. You know, you play your defense against the Giants. The combination of Jake Fromm and Mike Lennon, it clearly is an awesome spot. I mean, if you watched last week, it was just so sad. Getting the Bears here, 3.2K, they look solid as far as a median projection standpoint. If you need to save salary, I also don't mind going down on DK to the Colts. I mean, the Raiders have just been so bad on offense. Anytime you could take a shot on a defense under 3K, they look solid on DraftKings. Clearly, there's like elite plays on FanDuel where the pricing doesn't matter. I'll just bring up the, the top tier here. I mean, you got the Patriots at 5K against the Jaguars, the Bucks against the Jets and Zach Wilson, and then New Orleans against the combination likely of Sam Darnold and or Cam Newton. Doesn't really matter. Um, of those three, if salary was not an issue, do you have a lean diggle on those three? It's so tough. Uh, I mean, the answer is yes, right? Like They're, they're all just awesome plays in cash. They, they are all awesome. Again, the skeleton key has been the Giants or the Bears, any a team opposing the Giants. And so I guess I'll just lean that way and keep it easy. All right. Sounds good. Yeah. And then in tournaments, you know, we always tell listeners like, do not play the chalk. Just get off. Absolutely the board, not. Get difference and think about it. So I'm not playing the Bears this week in tournaments. I'm going to play them in cash. Most likely I will never forget the one time a uh, good friend. Everyone knows Jonathan Bells. Uh, he nearly took down the Millie maker and one of the strategies that he had was he just took the chalk defense and blind picked the defense underneath it, like the next cheapest, because defense is like, you know, production scoring wise, like they matter, but they don't matter. It's so volatile. That's why you never follow the chalk. And so like just doing that, that tells you like how little it matters to follow the chalk defense. Just don't do it. There you go. Words of wisdom from Diggle there. Let's get into games. We are looking at stacking here in week 17. Stack attack. All right, let's start with the Chiefs going on the road to Cincinnati to take on the Bengals here. The DraftKings Sportsbook line is Kansas City minus five. The over-under has gotten bet up to 51 points. Diggle, where do you want to start this conversation? Let's go ahead and start with the Bengals side of the offense because what we've seen now is a little bit of fake courage when facing off against the Ravens, but no other opponent for Zach Taylor. Uh, remember, even against the Broncos, the Bengals ran the ball on first down on 17 of 22 first downs. But then against the Ravens this past week, threw the ball on 21 of 35 first downs. And two games against the Ravens this year now, the Bengals have passed on 58%, 36 of 62 first downs for 10.7 yards per attempt. And then in 13 other games, 43% pass play rate, the fifth lowest rate in the league. So we've seen like that beef 
between Zach Taylor and John Harbaugh come to life when those two teams play. And basically, Zach Taylor pipes down when they play any other defense. And so I am somewhat worried that we get a run-heavy offense here. And as we've seen, like, Joe Mixon, an awesome play, but has not reached over four yards per carry in over a month. And more importantly, his passing game usage is fleeting. Like, yes, we got 35 routes on 55 dropbacks this past week. We got six targets for 70 yards. That was awesome. But he's gotten over at least four targets in six games this year. And if three of those, he hasn't reached over two targets in his next one, in his next opportunity. Like there has been no rhyme or reason why they used Joe Mixon in the passing game. You just have to hope it sticks. And so I, I genuinely think there's an easy way, honestly, for this game to fail. Yeah, I think it's a good point too. I mean, I know the trend right now is that money's coming in on the over. It's gone up a little bit as far as the uh, the total at 51. But I'm with you. And I feel like this is a spot too where you look at the Bengals and Last week, it's in hindsight, of course, it's 2020, but it seems so obvious, right? We know the Ravens are banged up. Their secondary is terrible. They're giving up a ton of deep plays. The Bengals have some of the best deep ball wide receivers in the game, so it makes a lot of sense. I don't really want to chase a Joe Burrow career game the week after, especially if roster percentage is going to follow. I'm not sure it will, but when you look at, you know, people want to play the Chiefs. Everyone's excited always about Mahomes and Tyreek and Travis Kelsey for good reason most of the time, but... We've seen those spots fail more often than not over the course of this year. And I think when you look at this game, you know, with with Cincinnati, like I think you look at the overall trend, not just one spike week. You know, they've been a team that we, the fantasy community and DFS players and best ball drafters have wanted the Bengals to throw the ball for so long that we just saw it happen. I just wonder if, if people chase it. And if that's the case, I will probably be flipping the script a little bit. I know you talked about some concern with Joe Mixon. I think he's an okay GPP play, especially if there is going to be, you know, roster percentage on Burrow stacks this week. So I'm not super interested in Burrow stacks, which sounds crazy to even say after the dude erupted for a career game. But uh, it sounds like you're kind of with me in that front, maybe kind of more of a fade uh, in your opinion. A game, most likely I'll be fading. Famous last words. I'm terrified. But also this Chiefs offense, like nothing I'm scared of, to be honest. Uh, We've seen that although they are an amazing team, they've just flipped the script on how they beat teams now. Since they're by 25 total targets to running backs, um, also Patrick Mahomes since week eight, ever since the Titans just destroyed them, they came out and changed their offensive game plan altogether, and Mahomes now leads the league since that time and yards after the catch production. They just are a short passing unit, and it took for... Derwin James to get out a couple weeks ago against the Chargers for the Chiefs to eventually open up the offense. Now, it's good to see that they will open up the offense if the defense allows for it. But as we know, like the two-eye safety issue is not like a joke. Like I understand that it's more complicated than just simply saying defense is going to play two-eye safety, thus the Chiefs aren't going to throw downfield. But we've just seen them now produce differently and get running backs more involved as their culmination of their third receiver behind Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey who should be back this game so overall like I think you should not be scared to fade this one altogether yeah I think that's a good point you know I think people are probably maybe a little surprised to hear that but there's reason behind it and I think I'm with you you know I was looking at we always talk about the Ravens being a team that can't stop the deep ball well Cincinnati's right there you know they're giving up a ton of deep production but that was my exact thought process was like okay sweet let's play Tyreek and then you think about his usage over the course of his career and you would say that's where you're seeing targets and you look at now his role is just so much different seeing more of that kind of short area stuff letting him make plays after the catch and so it's certainly any any week can work it's just that on paper it doesn't really line up as the quote-unquote best spot for those guys. And honestly, I'm just going to let roster percentage dictate how I handle this game. If it comes in popular, I'll likely fade it. 
if it's a little bit under the radar, I think there's ways that you can get, you know, maybe like a little mini correlation with Joe Mixon and, and Travis Kelsey, something like that. Um, anything else with this game, Diggle, or, or you want to give your biggest pick here? I will take the Chiefs, although if the Bengals cover a close one, that would not be shocking at all. Also, if you're not fading this game, I do think there's a, a unique way to get exposure to it, not even by stacking, but just saying, okay, the Chiefs can cover, but covering a boring one, and thus Darrell Williams would be the play, honestly. And we've already seen, we have evidence of what they do without the backfield. I know some people want to mention Derek Gore, but remember, Derek Gore wasn't involved until the last two drives, and by that time, they were up 30-6. to six. We've also seen Derek Gore now, and the four games he was active for, in the five games Clyde Edwards-Alaire missed, Derek Gore averaged just five and a half carries with two total targets, whereas Darrell Williams averaged 18 and a half touches, five and a half targets, and an 11 and a half percent target share. So I think Darrell Williams, like, honestly, you could even jam into cash games if you want to. He's just an awesome play if he's going to go overlooked. Yeah, his tag on FanDuel especially is, is really cheap, so mm-hmm. I like him there, and I'm with you. I think he is going to get a ton of the touches. We did see today on Thursday, Clyde Edwards-Alaire did not practice again with that shoulder issue, so it looks like it will be Darrell Williams with the lion's share of the touches for the Chiefs. I'm going to take the under. I think this game could disappoint, so I'm with you. Mostly a fade for me in this spot outside of the running back, so uh, I'm terrified to say that, but we'll see what happens. Let's move on to the second game here on the dock. We've got the Cardinals, who are just reeling right now, lost three straight, taking on the Cowboys, who are clinching uh, the division title in the NFC East, leading the league in scoring. They have been red hot as of late. What are you looking at in this game here, Diggle? Let's start with the Cowboys side. Uh, as established the runs, Pat Thorman pointed out in his must-read weekly pace article, the Cowboys are still quietly operating at the league's fastest pace in one-score situations on the year, and they've actually run the most plays leading their opponents over the last month, but have still ranked fourth in pass play rate with a lead in that time, which is great for us if we're interested in Dak stacks no matter the game script. And fortunately, even since the Cardinals defense lost J.J. Watt, they're blitzing at a top five rate. And Dak, as we know, has been absolutely sterling against the blitz this year. 9.5 yards per attempt, 18 touchdowns, and just four picks. Uh, reasons to get on Amari Cooper and C.D. Lamb as well. Lamb actually leads the team in targets against man coverage. And if the Cardinals blitz, as we know, that's going to lead a lead leave a lot of one-on-one island situations for the Cardinals cornerbacks. And so I do like getting back on Dak here, hoping that people think the bounce back against Washington, and maybe it was, was just because Washington is ravaged on defense and just can't stand a chance right now. They're just trying to get the hell out of the season. Um, but I love Dak double stacks, not only for CeeDee Lamb, not only for Amari Cooper, who demanded more targets, remember, publicly, and they greased the squeaky wheel, feeding him with his highest target share since week eight and a team high on red zone targets against Washington, but also like Dalton Schultz, has sort of emerged like Leonard Fournette for the Bucks, where he's the engine of the team and everything runs through him for whatever reason. He now has a 21.5% target share in his last two games. And so like, even if you're trying to escape the top tier of Gronk, Andrews, Kelsey, and Kittle, like you can easily just add Schultz to your Dak stacks and get there at tight end that way. Yeah, I think that's a great point. The underlying like usage metrics with Dalton Schultz, are kind of right there, like with the Amari Cooper, you know, over the last several weeks of the season. And then, of course, Michael Gallup's kind of been the the third wheel there in the, the pass catching group as far as the wide receivers. So, yeah, I think Dalton Schultz, if you are playing Dak, is interesting. I would not play Schultz without Dak personally. He's only part of the stacks for me. But, yeah, I, I think any week we know that Dak has the ceiling to him. I played him in cash a couple weeks ago, and it was really a bummer when he had that down week against the Giants. But you know that this offense has 
you know, 30 plus real life points in them every single week. And if that happens, presumably Dak is going off in this spot. So if we're expecting Dallas to have success here, which I do, I feel like that has to mean that the Cardinals are pushed, at least in some aspect, to keep up. And we've seen them play the last three games in a negative game script, and it's led to a ton of Kyler Murray pass attempts. They have not been efficient with DeAndre Hopkins there, but at least he's taking off running the football again. So are you thinking about stacking the Cardinals side uh, if you're going to go in this one here at all? It's one I'm still trying to figure out. Definitely open to it. And, you know, we've gotten our biggest edge in DFS this year. It's just a different game. Uh, we, we even, you know, start the show with picks. But DFS this year is like so, it goes so beyond picks, which makes it more fun, honestly. And I was not a successful player in the first half of the season. I just slowly like figured this out and figure out and just change my game altogether. And basically the most success I've had is when I have been able to solve what the field is going to do very accurately. And so I'm curious to see what the field is going to do with Kyler Murray, knowing that these last two performances have been very poor without DeAndre Hopkins. Um, So you could tell this narrative two ways. You can say that his last two starts without Hopkins has resulted in less explosiveness and less efficiency um, because Hopkins isn't there like that. Clearly, you know, he's averaging eight yards per attempt and a 30% completion rate on throws 20 plus yards deep. in these past two games compared to 18 yards per attempt and a 56 completion rate on throws 20 plus yards downfield prior now 18 yards per attempt, 56% completion rate. You can also tell yourself that was going to regress anyways. And so like, what if these two games were the regression and now they just are a normal offense, especially since he's still adding some rushing juice to his performances. Also, Uh, Cliff Kingsbury did coordinate a terrific offense, honestly, in the three starts Colt McCoy made. And so we've already seen them take this talent without Hopkins and still make terrific offensive performances. And so there is some reason to believe in the Cardinals here, despite the recent poor performances. Yeah, for sure. And I just think, like you said, this year, especially I've gotten off of the this is the play to make, so do it sort of thing and, and open you know your mind to like these different scenarios and kind of be willing to shift against what the field is doing if you are a contrarian style player in tournaments. And if people are down on the Cardinals, like I want to bet on Kyler Murray when he's not popular, certainly, especially given that we've seen the rushing upside kind of tick back up in the last month of the season. And, you know, if Dak pushes him, you think about how offenses interact. If Dak and the Cowboys have success, they're going to push the Cardinals to do something. And you may not need to stack the entire team for that to happen, but there should be value somewhere on the Cardinals side of the ball. Zach Hertz has gotten a lot of volume. He's interesting, but it's always scary because, I mean, he's seeing a huge target share in the last couple of weeks. But it's he's one of those guys that, like, can he actually break the slate and give you what you need in tournaments? What do you think about Zach Hurts here as a bring back or a correlated piece in this in this game? Totally fine. Just for that volume you referenced, 24 targets in his past two games without DeAndre Hopkins. Also still running around on over 90% of the team's dropbacks. And as we know, as pro football focuses Dwayne McFarland has taught us, 80% is the elite threshold we look for our route rates for tight ends. And so the fact that Zach Hurts, even this past week, literally led the team, all receivers as well, in routes run. He's just such a high floor option. And that's why it makes a lot of sense. I'm going to I'm gonna see if he gets steamed. I want to see what the field's going to do with him. But it does make a lot of sense to then get off Dalton Schultz if you want to play Dak and then play CD, Cooper, and Ertz as your game stack here. Yeah, for sure. Earlier in the week, we have him around 9% on DraftKings. That's pretty good, honestly, uh, especially for reception floors. Yeah, on DK, I think he's more interesting to me because he can get there. You know, he can get there with like an 8 for 80 type of game in a negative game script for sure. So I like that a lot with Zach Ertz. If he's going to see a ton of targets, he certainly has in the last couple of weeks. At the running back position for the Cardinals especially, 
I mean, really the key here is James Conner. He missed last week, of course, with that heel issue. He did return to, I think, a limited practice today on Thursday. So we'll have to see what happens on Friday. But let's just say for the conversation today, let's pretend James Conner sits in this one. How high would you be on Chase Edmonds in this spot? Extremely high. Just the fact that they literally plopped him in as the player to pass down in zone coverage. And now the Cowboys defense filled with monsters in the front seven. Um, having said that, if you look at the quarterbacks they have faced, including like the past two weeks against Mike Glennon, Jake Fromm, and Taylor Heineke, and a couple other, like, or Gilbert, I believe Gilbert played on Sunday night. I immediately stopped watching in the yep. fourth quarter. Um, yeah. Because it was so, so, so bad. Uh, but yeah, yeah, like they really haven't played any competition either. And so like Kyler, like the dump down opportunities would be there yet again for a fearsome front seven to plop balls to Chase Edmonds. So yeah, I'd be, I'd definitely be really in on Chase Edmonds if James Conner's ruled out. If James Conner plays, I think there's a reason to get off him because as we've seen, Conner will still disrupt Edmonds inside the 20 and take away like the fantasy juice that we need from him. Yep, I'm with you. So we got to watch what happens with James Conner. Would be a standout play for Chase Edmonds. I'm going to lay the points here with Dallas, minus five and a half. You have a lean, Diggle, on how this game goes as far as your Vegas pick? I am laying the points as well, although it is scary. Having said that, over the last month, Cowboys still passing the ball. Oh, we talked about this earlier. Um, fourth highest pass play with the lead. And so, like, even if you think they're playing with the lead in this game, the Cardinals still carry offensive woes into this game your Dak stacks can still get there. So that's kind of like my heavy lean in tournaments right now. I like it. All right, let's move on to the last game we're going to talk about today. It is the Rams at 11 and four taking on the Ravens, the DraftKings Sportsbook line, uh, uh, not the Ravens, sorry, (laughs) the Rams laying three and a half points, the over under uh, sitting at a middling 46 and a half points. I think there's a lot of value in this game. I'm pretty excited about it for tournaments. Where do you want to start this conversation here, Daigle? Well, we talked about it a little earlier how we've seen beyond these past two weeks, the Ravens just ravaged with injuries, uh, lead the league still, and players on injured reserve, I believe, just can't stop, most importantly, the deep ball, and still lead the league and passes and completions 20-plus yards downfield. And so we know that's where the Rams will also attack them, um, as they do have a top-five pass play rate in the red zone as well. Also, just the fact that Daryl Henderson now out, and Sony Michelle they literally aren't using as they use Daryl Henderson. They just aren't using a pass catching back. Instead, those targets are now getting funneled to their receivers. And so, you know, Van Jefferson is a boomer bust, like a touchdown or bust receiver. But having said that, we also know Van Jefferson, it's only 25 more air yards since Odell Beckham joined the team, but still their primary deep target. And so the touchdown or bust like outlook could still happen easily in this game. Since like Marquez Valdez-Scantling a couple weeks ago, that's where Van Jefferson gets his targets anyhow. And so I do kind of like... Beckham first, and then Jefferson. Uh, again, Cooper Cup, the tournament conversation, especially on FanDuel, is one where I don't think it's a bad choice either way, but I do think for the first time, like all year long, there are definitely reasons to fade him. Yeah, it's an interesting conversation too. When you think about the way the defense has played over the last two weeks, we saw that game against Devonta Adams where they basically just rolled essentially double coverage on him and it let MVS get loose a ton in single coverage. Now with Cooper Cup not playing as much on the perimeter, do we see the same thing? Maybe not. Clearly they did not do that last week. I know that they were talking about that with Jamar Chase and saying, well, he's not he's not Devontae Adams, so we're not going to double cover him. Well, Cooper Cup has been the best wide receiver in football, arguably, this year. So do they try to double him? I don't know. If it does, with how bad the defense is at allowing deep balls, like someone should pop up here for the Rams. I think we both agree. Like We don't really know who it's going to be. We have a lean. Obviously, it's one of Odell or Van. And I think I'm just going to play a couple of stacks with Stafford 
a couple of them are going to have uh, Van Jefferson, a couple are going to have Odell Beckham, and I'm just going to kind of hope I hit the right combination. But I think it's pretty straightforward on the Rams side of the ball. Like they're going to have success, I think, in this spot. They've got a, a pretty nice implied total. They've been rolling. I definitely am interested in a Matthew Stafford bounce back after he was pretty chalky last week and failed. And Odell just super interesting because we've seen twice in the last three games that unlike Van Jefferson, like they set him up for success inside the five yard line. They use him like Devontae Adams where they'll try and keep him on man to man coverage for fades. Like they actually call concerted plays for him. So that's why I think like there are lots of ways, multiple variations of how Beckham can score a touchdown, which makes him like really interesting over Cooper Cup, honestly. Interesting. Yeah. And, and don't hear what we're not saying. Of course, you can play Cooper Cup. Of course. Uh, we do know he's he'll, he'll be popular. He's Cooper Cup. But just be willing, if you're going to do that, make sure you get different elsewhere in your lineup. Um, any interest in Sony on the Rams side of the ball? I mean, he's just getting a ton of work. Obviously, Cam Akers, they said he might be active this week. I would be floored if he got more than 10 touches in this spot coming off a huge surgery just five months ago. So I think it's going to be the Sony Michelle show. Volume should be there. But like you said, he's not seeing targets. So you need him to find the end zone for him to pay off in tournaments, especially. But I feel like both sites, like they're not moving his price tag. So he still remains a solid median projection type of guy. I'm just having trouble seeing the path against the Ravens. They've been extremely good against the run, terrible against the pass. So any interest in Sony this week in tournaments? Not for me personally, but it's not something like I would think is a bad move if you want to play him. The Ravens are still stuffing the run. Like even last week, it took Joe Mixon, you know, a goal line carry to get there. Also, the receiving production is really what allowed him to perform and like reach his points per dollar in DFS. It wasn't the the rushing production since the Ravens have been so good against the run. And we have had instances where we've played running backs who don't get targets. We like Jeff Wilson go back a couple weeks ago because of the flop lag situation in good game scripts. Um, you could do that, but if you play Sony Michelle, it's not for the matchup. It's generally for game theory. And so I don't hate it, especially after last week. He got 20 touches, the first 20 backfield touches of the game, before Daryl Henderson came in for one carry in the third quarter, 17-yard burst, then injured, got put on IR. We don't expect Cam Akers to get any more than two to four touches, literally just a warm-up spot for him. So this will be Sonny Michelle's backfield. But I think it's more about game theory as opposed to like the micro-analysis of why you're playing Sonny Michelle. Yep, I'm with you 100%. On the Ravens side of the ball, Again, we talked about it. We think it's going to be Tyler Huntley off the COVID list, averaging six and a half rush attempts in his starts. That's interesting. You know, he was a guy that was a tournament winner a couple of weeks ago. And if you think that the Rams have success here and we have Tyler Huntley under center, if he's going to run the football, I'm not interested in really a double stack with his scoring skill set. And the nice thing about this is on the Ravens side of the ball, it's pretty clear where the ball is going. Mark Andrews is option one, two, and three. Marquise Brown has really fallen off as far as his volume and how he's performed. And he did not practice today on Thursday. So it's unclear where he's at. Does it feel pretty straightforward for you? Like it's Mark Andrews and no one else? Yeah, Marquise Brown under five yards per target as well in the last six games. Uh, not doing well for him at the tail end of the season for a variety of reasons. But yes, for me, it is Mark Andrews. Uh, now, they don't shadow Jalen Ramsey. But the way they play Jalen Ramsey, primarily from the slot, it actually does make sense that they would slap him on Mark Andrews for a majority of the snaps. Again, I don't think he's going to shadow. He never shadows, so no big deal. But just the way it ends up, how they align Mark Andrews and Jalen Ramsey, it seems like he's going to get that coverage. Uh, having said that, we talked about it earlier, 27 of 32, 
catches on Tyler Huntley's targets this year. So it just seems like Andrews is the one place to go. Um, Rashad Bateman leads Marquise Brown and routes run over the last two games, but Bateman even had to have the touchdown to get there. Not really, has not been explosive in this offense. And so uh, it would just be Andrews for me, like you said, and that's kind of where it stops. Yep, I'm with you. And on DraftKings right now, early in the week, we have him at 2% in the projected roster percentage report. I mean, if you're getting Mark Andrews from what he's done at less than 5%, it's almost blinders. Just play him in GPPs with how good he's been and how good he's been with Tyler Huntley, like you said. So he looks like an awesome tournament play this week if you're stacking this game. Give me your Vegas pick, Diggle. I'm going Rams minus 3.5. I'm going Rams minus 3.5 as well. All right. Let's move on here to one last quick segment before we get into the Battle Royale. Just a couple of thoughts here on like how would you would you go with these onslaught teams? I mean, we've got Tampa Bay taking on the freaking Jets. They're dead last in DVOA on defense. They're terrible in every aspect. So we know Ronald Jones is going to be popular. You mentioned, obviously, you know, Antonio Brown looks great. No questions about it. But Rob Gronkowski seems like a guy that you are super high on here in this spot. And remember, we're trying to soak up the touchdown equity. So if you're playing Brady, uh, you're playing Brown and Gronk. And you're not playing Ronald Jones because that defeats the purpose. We know Ronald Jones is not going to catch passes. We need the all the touchdowns from Brady. And it could very well happen against the Jets. So I think that's how you'd handle that onslaught. Um, the Bills are interesting because it looks like we're getting Gabriel Davis and Cole Beasley back. And honestly, it's like a situation I don't want to touch because we know with Emmanuel Sanders healthy, led the team in routes run last week. Um, Gabriel Davis wasn't playing when Sanders was healthy. And so like, I do wonder if like they just put Davis back on the bench. Cole Beasley was ineffective. Uh, a 23% target share with Dawson Knox basically just wasn't used underneath because Knox was stealing his targets when Knox came back because Knox was also running around on 90% of Josh Allen's dropbacks. So it's just hard to pick between the Bills wide receivers. I don't think we even get Isaiah McKenzie after he blew up last week because Cole Beasley's back. So you know, it's probably Stephon Diggs, Josh Allen, but that's why I kind of think Devin Singletary is just an awesome pivot as well. Yeah, he's so cheap this week too yeah. across both sites for his role. It seems like they haven't really adjusted some with you. Definitely an interesting spot, but those teams look like they're primed for success. And my favorite right now is just to go with kind of a Tom Brady double stack because Ronald Jones is going to soak up a ton. And I think Gronk is a massive, massive bounce back spot here. I played him in cash last week for the same reasons I would play him in cash this week. I mean, the targets are gone with Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Leonard Burnett, et cetera. And they've got just a massive team total against the Jets. So those spots look awesome if you're looking to go with an onslaught stack. Dagle, we started this segment a couple of, of weeks ago, and it's been kind of fun. Hit me with like one or two guys you think could be a slate breaker this week. Like who goes off this week? Who goes bananas? Who wins someone a tournament? What are your thoughts? It's still very early, so I'm still sort of gauging where I'm at in tournaments right now. Uh, I already mentioned I think Beckham's a great play. Um, I like the Dak double stacks. That's where I'm still leaning right now. I think this week is very hard to pay down at wide receiver, so I'm trying to avoid that. I think fading Bengals Chiefs, as I already mentioned, I'm on that. Whereas like Daryl Williams is an awesome play, a way to get cheap exposure there. So I'm kind of thinking that's the way I'm going to go right now. Uh, and yeah, that's that's sort of how I lean. Jonathan Taylor, I want to see if Carson Wentz doesn't clear protocols, like what the field is going to do with Jonathan Taylor, because maybe that's a situation where we still say, well, if you're giving me Jonathan Taylor an awesome spot with the offensive line, like who cares if Sam Ellinger's back there? We're still going to play Taylor, and so yeah, I'm, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna watch and see what the field's doing. Um, not sure exactly right now what I will personally be doing. The name I'm going to throw out this week is Ceedee Lamb. You talked about loving sure. Dak. I do too. Why not stack him with Ceedee Lamb against the Cardinals defense, giving up the most touchdowns to opposing slot wide receivers? 
yes please on CD Lamb, especially after Amari Cooper was the one that got those targets last week. Love him in GPPs. Let's move on. Let's battle it out. DFS Battle Royale. All right, Dagle, no pressure here, dude. Okay, you're, you're filling in for Kyle. We've got a little running series here on the season. We got a wager going on for who wins the total here. So your scores will go to Kyle here. So, so no pressure. But give me a stacking quarterback you think is in play under 6K this week. For the record, I don't think there is one. Uh, I don't. <laughs> I genuinely don't like anyone under 6K. But if you told me to force one, I think Davis Mills is the play here. Uh, not only is it a sneaky game theory pivot off of the ISO Trey Lance that everyone's going to play. So like no one mentally will get there to Davis Mills already since everyone will be playing Trey Lance, but also like Davis Mills has been good, like really good. Uh, even in that monsoon game against the Jaguars, that game was hot until the rain came and it was frustrating because it was a week you could have paid down at quarterback. And I did with Davis Mills and Brandon Cooks. Cooks got there with 102 touchdowns, but Davis Mills got stopped by the rain, even though he was pressing them deep early he's been just awesome with three 300 yard performances in his last five games and so like honestly like that and then you run it back with a George Kittle paying up a tight end is my pick I mean man Davis Mills like I think a lot of people made fun of the Texans for taking Davis including Mills me in the third round me too I'm shocked but he's been awesome uh which is just crazy to even say so yeah I think it's a really interesting play no one is going to click the button on Davis Mills stacks this week I'm going to go with Tyler Huntley I think the field is going to play a lot of Matthew Stafford stacks. If you want to flip the build and stack Huntley with Mark Andrews and bring it back with one of the Rams, that's a way to get different. He's interesting because his rushing equity as well at 5,600 on DraftKings. On DraftKings, yes, because they priced him, I believe, at 7,200 on FanDuel, which is pretty wild. FanDuel doesn't joke around. He's up there. Yeah, they they like get fire in their pants sometimes. They're like, nope, we're not going (laughs) to let you have this player at all. Yeah, one good game and he goes up by at least uh, almost 2,000. Give me a cash game running back that is not named Ronald Jones or Jonathan Taylor this week. I talked about him already, but I think Devin Singletary is just in an awesome spot. Uh, not worried about them using any other running back. We've seen now in their last three games, they have healthy scratch confidently, both Zach Moss and Matt Breida. Whereas, as mentioned before, Devin, it's been Devin Singletary with 50 of 58 backfield touches in that span. Uh, this is the way to get exposure towards the Bills offense as well, a high team total. And this is the way to pivot off of Josh Allen, knowing that the Bills could just trounce the Falcons. Yeah, absolutely. And we've already talked about it. Just an awesome price tag across both sites. I'm going to throw out David Montgomery. We talked about him in the cash game section. Zero holes to poke in the spot for a guy getting volume against a team you can run on in the Giants who are pretty much ready to get out out of here and be done with the season at this point in a positive game script. Wide receiver is tough. There aren't that many cheap options. Give me one you're looking at potentially under 5K. Yeah, like you said, it's tough. It's, it's just it's not a good week to pay down a wide receiver. But I will go back to Braxton Berrios if both Jameson Crowder and Elijah Moore are out, or Michael Gallup if you want a sneaky pivot around Dak Stacks. Uh, we saw this last week in the FanDuel Million Championship, like the one pivot the person made that beat Adam Levitan, who took down 250K. The million guy had Joe Burrow, but pivoted to Tyler Boyd as like the ancillary receiver going overlooked behind T. Higgins. He just went Boyd over Jamar Chase. And so like that's kind of a way you could get sneaky exposure to this game if the field is getting on it, is CeeDee Lamb, Michael Gallup, Zach Ertz. Yep, I think that's a, a really solid call as well. Again, more of that game theory aspect, but that's what we do in uh, in tournaments. All throughout the guy we talked about earlier, it's Josh Palmer, uh, just seeing a, a really solid role. Not that's like breaking the slate, but at his price point, 
he can do enough at 3.6 against Denver, especially if Mike Williams is not back. I think he's probably off the conversation if Mike Williams is back. Would you agree? Yes. Uh, now, we've okay. seen players come back from the COVID list and be very limited. Could very well happen, especially because this was Mike Williams' second time in the last calendar month that he's been put on the COVID list. But it's literally just a it's a lottery ticket. Like, we don't know. Maybe he's successful, but we genuinely like can't advise it because we just don't know. Yep, for sure. We talked about tight end being an awesome spot this week to pay up for. There are so many good options. If you're paying up, who are you going with? It's Gronk. Uh, season high and snaps quietly in this past game, despite seeing just two targets. And again, we don't expect Antonio Brown's while we expect him to get jammed targets. Anyhow, we don't expect a 50% target share. Uh, it could very well be a game where both Gronk and Brown get double digit targets, especially because Mike Evans looks like he was activated from the COVID list, but was apparently, as we've seen time and time again this year, uh, extremely fatigued at practice and coming off the COVID list. So we don't know if he's going to be a limited player. So Gronk and AB for the win. And not to mention the hamstring issue from two weeks ago. Again, if yep. he's if he's had COVID, if he's on the list, not doing the rehab work likely to get healthy with the hamstring and with this team having Super Bowl aspirations, I think we could see Mike Evans sit again. So a good call on that. Um, I pivoted here. I had Travis Kelsey on the list, but we talked about Mark Andrews. And the more we talked about it, especially at that roster percentage, absolutely in love with Mark Andrews this week. So give me him as the pay-up guy. He's just been so, so solid over the last month of the season. Give me a sneaky DST under 3,000 on DraftKings. I'll still go back to the Dolphins. Uh, 2,800 is, I, I don't know what happened there, especially since, again, they played the quarterbacks, but it's not like we're really scared of the Titans offense, uh, especially in their last three games since they're by. They haven't gone over five yards per play once. And so if you're paying down, I think the Dolphins are interesting. Also, if you're paying way down, and probably people will get here, I think the Lions against, again, uh, a Seahawks offense we're not scared of either since Russ just doesn't look like himself since he returned from the mallet finger injury. Uh, the Lions are a way to pay down as well. Yeah, good call there on the Dolphins. Um, I actually had them on the list, but I'm going to give listeners a different one here. And this is kind of just off the cuff. Like the Chiefs have been really solid recently. They've played some terrible quarterbacks. So again, it's yes. sort of, is this real sort of thing? But let's say it is. I mean, what if it is? And no one's going to click the button on the Chiefs defense at 3,000. So I think they're an interesting tournament play. If you wanted to, like we talked about earlier, just say, you know what? This game fails. It's a mini correlation of the Chiefs D and Daryl Williams or something like that. I think it's in play this week. I'm so excited for the wild card round because like anyone who can apply context will very easily be able to bet against these teams that have just lucked into lottery ticket quarterbacks like the Raiders, like the Steelers. Uh, if like these participation trophy teams make it into like the largest playoff field we've seen ever, then it's just such a good a good time for us to bet against them. Yeah, for sure. And Kansas City specifically, like over the last six weeks, you know, they're allowing just 13 points against second best in the league, but they faced, okay, Dak, he's been awesome. Yeah. But they faced Jordan Love, Derek Carr twice, Teddy Bridgewater, Daniel Jones, and the corpse of Big Ben. So context absolutely is And even Dak, you could you could spots. add the calf injury to that since, you know, we finally saw yeah. him we finally saw him sneak out of that on Sunday night. But before then, yes, very, very poor. Yep. Very excited for the playoff slate. Uh last segment. Dega, let's jump into the mailbag real quick, and then we'll get out of here. Mailbag. All right. First question on Twitter came in from at both. I don't know how to say this. A-G-R-I-U-S. Wants to know, should we be downgrading guys coming off COVID? Have there been any players that have come back that weren't limited or performed 100%? What are your thoughts? The anomaly was Keenan Allen... 
I think that was on Thursday night against the Chiefs. But genuinely, like, that's the only one I can think of. And so very clearly, yes, we should be downgrading them. Redrafts is an entirely different discussion since, like, that's why redraft start sits are so hard, just because you have to know what kind of player you are in fantasy, because there are basically two answers every time, a floor and a ceiling, and you have to ask yourself, like, what kind of risk are you willing to take on? But for DFS, like, that's just a way, like, we're putting our money where our mouths are, just in saying, I'm going to fade this player since we get paid out of the night. So, yeah, I definitely just look to avoid those players. Like, last week, it didn't, you know, it didn't help me out. I did I did well. I snuck into mid-stakes and cashed out and did well. But I played Clyde Edwards-Lair as the pivot everywhere to Tyreek Hill, just thinking, well, like, Tyreek Hill doesn't matter because he's coming off the COVID list. And, like, this offense, I'm not scared of it all, so I'll just go to their running backs. And Edwards-Lair did sneak in from the goal line. Uh, got injured later, but luckily I got that touchdown before he got injured. Nonetheless, yes, you should definitely look to fade these guys. I think if you're not at least considering it, it's a mistake. I mean, right. because when you look at, if you're using an optimizer, or using projections, like oftentimes the projection is not going to bake in the downside risk associated with this. And we've seen it from multiple players. The most recent obvious example, like you just said, is Tyree Kill with these guys struggling. And if you're plugged in on Twitter, maybe you can find out those little bits of information. Like, was it a positive test? You know, or is it more of a close contact situation? And if it's the positive test, I think we should certainly be downgrading these guys as we've seen over the last couple of weeks. So I'm with you on that. Next question comes in from a good friend of the show, Bobby Peril. He's been asking a lot of awesome questions this year. He wants to know in GPPs, what's the best way to distinguish between chalk we should fade, Cooper Cup, Dallas Goddard last week, versus chalk we should eat, Justin Jackson and Antonio Brown from last week? Oh, I don't I don't even think Cup was chalk we should have faded last week. Like he was just fine. Uh, especially because last week, Remember, every slate's different. We approach every slate differently. And last week, you could, it was a build a bear. Like, you could just build your lineup however you wanted to, which is why I was so frustrated, Matt, because I knew, like, I guessed, I knew Joe Burrow was going to get steamed. And he got it 12% with 16% Jamar Chase and 10% T. Higgins. I knew it. And so I said, okay, well, if y'all are going to do that, I'm going to play 3% Josh Allen and 1% Isaiah McKenzie, knowing, like, Isaiah McKenzie is going to be heavily featured because we saw this in week 17 last year. And even then, Joe Burrow, I guessed it right. Remember, it's about the process. As your wife leaves you, it's about the process. Uh, even then, Joe Burrow ended me. So very frustrating. Nonetheless, take every slate differently, Bobby. And I think it just honestly comes down to sometimes stepping back from the microanalysis and just saying, like, why am I playing this player right now? Uh, for instance, like Alexander Madison, you could have played him. But with so many other options, that's how Levitan won the 250K, was just looking at the projections and saying, well... There's Madison, there's Ronald Jones, and there's Rex Burkhead. Knowing David Johnson just got surprisingly put on the COVID list, uh, Rex Burkhead's going to get 20-plus touches. Let's just take a chance. You know, it's a large field tournament. Let's just take a chance to play him, knowing no one else is going to see him because he's umbrellaed. He's overshadowed by Jones and Madison. Uh, and sometimes, like we talked about Jeff Wilson, remember, there was that week that Jeff Wilson was 4,300, and... He did not have a good performance. He was terrible, actually. I believe he just finished with 40 yards rushing, and that's it on DraftKings. But he was still in the winning lineups of mid- and high-stakes tournaments because of what the 4,300 allowed you to do with the rest of your lineups. And so, like, I always plug these guys in and step back and say, okay, like, why am I playing this person, whether we think it's good or bad chalk? Why am I playing this person? Uh, what is it allowing me to do the rest of my lineup? Do I need this? And then I go from there. Yeah, I think that's a good point too. And I think the conversation also has to do a lot with the price point these guys are at. You know, when Derrick Henry last year was like 9,500 or north of that, it's like, okay, the more expensive he gets, the more he has to do to bury me. 
in these tournaments. And you look at the profile of certain players, specifically running backs, I'm more willing to fade a guy that isn't going to catch the football, you know, that is expensive and that has downside to them. 80 yards and no touchdown does nothing for you, right? You need that kind of to pay off a huge way. So I think pricing point matters a lot, as you said. And then, yeah, just using roster percentage maybe as a whole to build your lineup is really the key as far as I think trying to find out, like, you can play some chalk. Just don't play all the chalk in tournaments to, to get different. And that's a good point because last week was the first time we had that scenario where there was like nine guys rostered in over 30% of tournaments. So it was it, honestly, if you weren't careful, you could have gotten too cute and pivoted off all the chalk. And so I just yep. take it sight by sight. You know, I see a 4,900 AB and call that a free square, like a free square running back getting 20 touches. You mispriced AB, 4,900. I'm just going to play him and let's just keep on going down the list here and say, okay, well, I can't play Ronald Jones if I play AB technically because I'm trying to get the touchdown equity, but there are these players in Ronald Jones's range. So who cares? I don't need to play Ronald Jones if I have AB. And I literally, it's just a week to week thing. Yeah. Every slate's different. That's why you got to turn the page and move forward. All right, last question we're going to do today comes in from Becca in our Discord. If you want to be a part of the Discord channel, be sure to go to jointhefoot.com. The question is, what's the largest amount of salary you're willing to leave on the table in cash versus GPPs? GPP, I try not to leave anything over 600. And again, slate by slate, but I'd look to stick around that range. Showdown slates, honestly, you can just uh, you can leave whatever you want um, to a certain extent. Remember, we're just trying to have the best plays. We're also game theorying our way into the the top portion of large fields. So much so that I've seen so many times, not only this year but previous years. Like logically, if you put together a lineup and the salary works, the winning lineup it could be yours. It could just be a one v one off your lineup. But the winning lineup, what they did was understand that all the salary fit understood that that's what everyone was doing and then went down a player just to save the 1200 salary because that's the next step. That's like three levels inception deep. And so for showdowns, you got to be very careful and just say, well, if I got here, everybody else got here. So how do I just bury off this like 1v1? Um, for cash also, just comes down to the best plays. Most of the time you find yourself using most of your salary and cash games. But like last week, like if, if everything fits, then again, I don't mind leaving 600, 800. Most, most of the time, though, I don't find myself doing that. Yeah, for sure. There's been a lot of data actually looking back at the last couple of years that as you start to leave more and more salary on the table, and we're talking like more than, you know, seven, eight, nine hundred dollars $900, like your expected outcomes start to go down, even in cash and GPP. So I think, you know, be willing to spend most of your salary. You don't always have to spend all of it, like you said. And really what it comes down to there is just trying to find pivot points in tournaments off less or off the popular guys onto less popular guys is a good way to kind of get there, especially if you're using that kind of rule of like, all right, spend most of your salary, but just don't be you know, too chalky with it. And the player you want to play over that chalky expensive player and thus save salary there, like it, he could go off over the chalky player, but also remember that we don't know as much as we think we do about anything in life. So like just the fact that you are now taking your hubris and combating like the rest of the field, you can only do that to a certain extent and be right. So most of the time I just say like, it's not even about if I think this player is good. It's just that I'm pivoting elsewhere. And so this is a spot where I don't need to shield myself. I'll just take it with a grain of salt. And then um, let's move forward into the fields, whether I think he's good or not, because most of the people are playing him and I'll just get cute elsewhere. There you have it. The final answer to this whole crazy thing we're doing in DFS is that we know nothing. <laughs> As Degel said, it's life. we have an idea. We don't know anything. And I think embracing that randomness has been a lot of fun this year. So uh, Degel, this has been really fun, man. I really appreciate you coming on the show today, spending some of your time with us. 
remind the people before we close it out again where they can find your work, what you got going on, and uh, yeah, what's going on over at NBC Sports Edge. At Najee Daigle on Twitter at NBCSportsEdge.com where I will even have a replay on the NBC Sports Edge YouTube page, a weekly show with myself and Kyle Dvorak on the DFS slate where it's more like curb your enthusiasm. I take pride in the show because like nothing is scripted. We just show up and we bounce our ideas off one another and just talk about like the fades and where we're at. And like, we've gained a lot of ideas off of one another with the chat as well. It's interactive. And then of course, by the time you listen Friday or Saturday morning, it's in your podcast feed. If you subscribe to a good football show on Spotify and iTunes. So more DFS coverage there. If you enjoyed this show and then look for the playoff content because I always play in the FFPC big playoff contest, the Terminator Leagues, where you can only pick one player from every team. And so like last year, I will be hosting a show based on the strategy for this year once we have the playoff team settled before the wild card round. Also, I'll have playoff only rankings for you playing any playoff fantasy tournaments. So stay tuned for that. Perfect. Can't wait. I'll be checking that out myself. Listeners definitely do the same. If you want to play against us this weekend, go to ballersdfs.com on DraftKings. That'll bring you up to our DraftKings League Fantasy Footballers DFS Borg Plus Bets. Some contests rolling out over the next couple of days. Come play with us. Come take our money. Come use our advice against us here this week. But it is week 17. There should be a lot of craziness going on around the NFL. Make sure you're plugged in. Stay locked in all weekend. Good luck in week 17. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Fantasy Footballers DFS podcast. Don't forget to visit us on the web at www.thefantasyfootballers.com.